Welcome to Homestand Sports, the podcast for the passionate fan. I'm your host, Albert Vartanian, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Justin Pooney, who will tell you why the Toronto Raptors are an embarrassment in the NBA. Well, on today's show, how are the Bruins still the best team in hockey? Did Tom Brady speak out of turn about the NFL? And what's next for Canada soccer after embarrassing themselves once again? Lots to get to and lots to answer, so let's get this party started. I'm Albert Vartanian, and this is Homestand Sports, where stories, not stats, take center stage. Okay, let's start this show talking about the Boston Bruins. We're trying to figure out what to lead this show with, and I think this is perfect because some way, somehow, this Boston Bruins team, who was the best regular season team ever in the NHL last year, is in line to do that once again. So far, through 17 games played, Justin, 13 wins, one loss, and three overtime losses. Best team in the NHL with 29 points. So my question to you is, how are they doing it once again? Albert, the Boston Bruins are an original six franchise. They are a franchise that's been, you know, one of the best over the last decade plus in the NHL. And it starts from the top and the bottom. It's simply put, this organization is run the right way from owner ownership to front office, to coaching staff, to the players, to the equipment. It's just, they are built so solidly. When you look at this team, they have the best goaltending tandem in the league once again, in Jeremy Swayman and Linus Olmark, both are top 10 in goals against average and save percentage. David Pasternak is elite as elite can be, tied for first place in NHL points with JT Miller. But the other thing, Albert, is you lose guys like the Charas and the Krejci's and the Bergerons, but then you have guys like James Van Reems, like Dalton Heinen, Charlie Coyle stepping in. And because the structure... And the system of the Boston Bruins is so strong. Guys can just enter into this team and be put in situations to be successful. JVR with the Flyers looked like he was washed and it was time for his career to come over. He finds a renaissance in Boston. Charlie Coyle has been in Boston for a minute. He's looking a lot better. Pavel Zaka, a sixth overall pick by the New Jersey Devils. Many considered a bust. Comes to Boston, comes to that top line. And Albert, he looks like a top line center. The Boston Bruins are just built and they have such smart people in the room that they just are built the right way. They know how to build a hockey team the right way. They know how to manage their cap the right way. They know how to pivot and turn and find people that might not have the flashiest names, but fit what they try to do the best. And quite frankly, Albert, we've seen it. We thought this was going to be over and done for the Bruins. It was time for a rebuild. They were going to have to, you know, retool strip things down but they're the best team in the league once again because why they're built the right way from top to bottom and i think any organization not just hockey but across the sports landscape should look at that to have regular season success look at the boston bruins yeah and it's crazy because the expectation was that they were going to miss out in the playoffs mm. they lost bergeron they lost Krejci. they're going to fall off but that's not mm. the case and that's it wasn't just them two they mm. lost bertuzzi they lost Taylor Hall. Like these are important players. And what do they do? They do some patchwork. They bring in, like you said, a JVR, which I think might be like a conversation for another time because that's one of the best stories in the NHL. Yeah. He's on the second line for the best team in the NHL. Nobody yeah. was expecting that. But Dal what yeah. you said, sorry? I was saying Dalton Heinen was a PTO. Yeah, I know. And he's, he's, he's playing valuable minutes for the Bruins. 
It's what they call the the Bruins way. But I'll go back to what you said earlier uh, in your little monologue there was it's about the goaltending. And that's what Jim Montgomery said. He goes, this was after they beat uh, the Buffalo Sabres a couple nights ago. He goes, it's the singular reason we have the record we have. It's because of our goaltenders. They're hiding or masking how poor we are right now at defending the rush. Combined, Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman have a 931 save percentage. And if you go back to since the start of the season, they're one and two in save percentage among goalies with at least 40 games. Like we talk about tandems all the time. We obviously we talk a lot about the Leafs and mostly in a negative light. But this is how you this is what a tandem is. And it's impossible. I think it's not impossible, near impossible to find two goalies that want to embrace this role and thrive in this role. But Allmark and Swayman are those guys. Swayman's seven oh and two. Allmark is six one and one. You put either these guys in net and they're going to do a job and they're doing it for each other because they love mm-hmm. each other. And I think yeah. a lot of that has to also go back to Jim Montgomery, right? He's 77, 13 and seven since taking over as head coach for the Boston Bruins. He's a super positive guy. The players absolutely love this guy too. They want to play for him. He's still mm-hmm. putting them through bag skates. He's done it twice this season. Imagine that. Where else would you hear that the best team in a league in a North American sports league is running their team through bag skates because he's not happy with certain ex- aspects mm-hmm. and certain details of their game. And I think that's what you mean about like this Boston Bruins structure and how everything is put together. You're still held accountable, even if you're at the top of your game. And the Bruins absolutely are right now. And what he's done to be able to cope with the losses of all these players is nothing less than impressive. And right now, he won the Jack Adams last year, but he's in line to do it again. Allmark won the Vesna. Swayman or Allmark, probably in line to win the Vesna. I know it's 17 games in. But you're looking at this, you're like, well, throughout this organization, you're going to have multiple awards and they might do it once again. And they probably learned from being bounced in the first round of the playoffs. They can be even better in the playoffs this year because of that. Well, one would hope so. And again, you talked about holding people accountable, even though you have the best team, right? You look at, again, Boston area, Bill Belichick. He was always known during that Patriot dynasty. Now, of course, they had a lot more postseason success than the Boston Bruins can even dream of. But you just had to throw Bill, it in there, right? Johnny Vancouver. Yeah, of course, of course. Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick would always it was known to cut, you know, high profile players, right? Su- former su- all pro players, right? Because it was always the team first. And I think when you look at this, it keeps guys on their toes. It keeps guys on the look. I'm not safe from anything. I'm if I don't put my best effort forward every night, night in, night out, we will be reprimanded in practice. And I think when you look at the Bruins. Yes, there's such people hate on them, and trust me, I hate the Bruins too. But you also have to kind of respect them for what they've done for the last since what 2010, the last 13 years, man. Like they've been one of the best franchises in all of in all of hockey, and I think they don't have the most the biggest collection of talent, right? They they have Pasternak, who we know is one of the best players in the world, but they're not like Edmonton, who have you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl. They're not like the Leafs that have a core four. They're not like Tampa who had Stamkos, Kucherov, Hedman, you know. They're not even like the Florida Panthers who have a guy, Matthew Kachuk, and other top, you know, top of the first-round draft picks. Um, They do it with developing system, like I mentioned, and playing the right way. And I think it's just admirable that a team that, in the Boston Bruins, that is just keeps on turning out these good, solid NHL players at night, year in and year out. And I think 
if it wasn't for more playoff success, we would consider them, you know, the model franchise of the NHL uh, of the last you know decade. I would love to have a sit down with JVR and ask him, what is it about this Boston team and how they play? Like, what is the Boston way? What are they doing? What are they doing behind the scenes to always be this successful? I mean, and success doesn't always necessarily equate to Stanley Cup success. You have success in different ways, like you mentioned. Over the past decade, they've been one of the best teams in the NHL. Mm -hmm. They don't have much to show for it in terms of silverware, but they they really have been. And it's just impressive. And the way that they play, they just three one teams to death, right? They don't and they don't allow a lot of goals. I think they've allowed the least amount of goals in the NHL right now. If they have a lead after the first period, it's essentially a lock. I think they're seven and one. And after the second period, forget it. I think it's nine, one and one or something. So the way that they play, the way they go about their business, it's completely impressive. And this is coming from you and a Vancouver Canucks fan and me and a Maple Leafs fan who's saying this about the Boston Bruins. Not the easiest thing to do, but I mean, there's no other team that does what they do. And I think maybe one team that is becoming that or can possibly become that maybe is the Vegas Golden Knights. Am I crazy by saying that? No, you're not, but they play a different style of hockey. I think they play again. They had, you know, Bruce Cassidy who was, who was with the Bruins. Yeah, that's right. Um, I just, when I look at the Knights, they spend, they spend to the cap and they, and they, they go after big names, right? They, they're ruthless too, right? They'll get rid they of They are. They're, they're ruthless, ruthless as well. Um, I do see the comparison and I do see that. I just think Vegas goes about it a little bit differently. Right. Um, they they change they're constantly changing and bringing in pieces and shipping guys in and out and finding you know diamonds in the rough like Aiden Hill or and whatnot. The where the Bruins have you know a guy like Brad Marchand or Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, and Daniel Char during that time that were the staples that were there forever. Whereas I find the Golden Knights they're more you know not modern per se, but they're more it's easier for them to pivot off people, pivot, move this guy in and out, in and out here. Patriotty, oh, you're not working on any more injury problems. Okay, see you later. We're bringing Jack Eichel, this, that, and the third, bringing Petrangelo. That's the difference I see. But like you mentioned, both these teams, Vegas and Boston, have been you know, powerhouses in the regular season um, over the last five, six years. Yeah, and obviously, I think what I meant by that is that there's only less than maybe a handful of teams who operate that way. I would say yeah. right now it's probably Vegas, Boston, and let's throw into Tampa Bay Lightning because they've mm-hmm. been they've been stellar. John Cooper's one of the, been one of the best coaches in the NHL for a long time. Okay, that wraps up this segment. Coming up next, we have uh, our boy Stevie P, Stevie the Greek of uh, North Star Bets joins us, and he's got some dogs that he likes yeah. this week in the NFL, so stay tuned for that. Okay, let's welcome in our buddy, Stevie the Greek, Stevie Sahoyas of North Star Vets. Uh, we have Thanksgiving football. We got a three-pack on Thursday, starting off with a big game. Detroit Lions, Green Bay Packers, and you're leaning towards the Lions. Yes, I know the Lions scared many people last week who, like me, have bet them to win the NFC and the Super Bowl. But they came through. They got us the win. They didn't cover. They got us the win. But this is a much better matchup for Detroit. On the ground, surprisingly, the Chicago Bears are allowing the fewest yards per carry of any team in the NFL. The Green Bay Packers, they rank 24th in opponent yards per carry. So this is a game where Detroit can get to doing what they want to do, which is run the football. They run it the 10th most frequently of any team in the NFL. Give it to, get a load of this one, Rhythm and Bruise. I heard that nickname on the broadcast last week for Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. I kind of like it. 
kind of fits the Detroit Motown theme. So I expect them to have a big game against the Packers. They'll be able to control that game on the ground. I think win by margin. Stevie, let's go over to this Thursday night. The nightcap, San Francisco 49ers at Seattle Seahawks. It seems the whole world is on the 49ers train. Brock Purdy's getting MVP talk, which is always surprising to me. Um, can my Seahawks even compete in this game? Or is it just a San Francisco cakewalk to first place in the NFC West because uh, they're a far better team? Justin, don't lose faith in your Seahawks. They've looked bad. Geno Smith in particular, he is not following up last year's season uh, with improvement. It has been brutal. But I think in this game, this is a divisional game. They can keep it close against San Francisco at home. This is probably one of the biggest games of the year for Seattle. They're going to be up for it. Positive Pete is going to have them going. And if there's one area in particular where I like Seattle, I think, you know, I know Geno Smith is dealing with a bit of a triceps injury. I expect him to play. I think he'll be able to beat the Niners over the top. The Niners have been giving up the 11th most yards per game, uh, passing yards per game to opposing wide receivers this year. I think that sets up well for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett to beat them over the top, especially with Hafunga out of the game. He's out for the year with a torn ACL. That's a big loss for a Niners secondary that is already struggling ahead of this one. So don't lose faith. I'm taking the Seahawks plus seven points in this game. That was all the ploy, Steve. Yeah, of course I'm not going to die, yeah. <laughs> jump off the ship that early. I think the Seahawks will win this game because why? Their defense the last seven weeks has been legit. I think they're allowing under 17 points a game on other offenses. I think Leonard Williams is another weekend, another week to get stronger to get after the quarterback. Devin Witherspoon, Jamal Adams should be back. Stevie, can't if the Seahawks win this game, they're going through a tough stretch right now where they have the 49ers, and the Cowboys, and the 49ers, and the Eagles. If they win this game, is that such a confidence booster to a young team that they can go through this tough stretch, potentially with a winning record? Yeah, I think so. Like you said, this is a young Seattle team that last year already beat expectations, and this year they've continued to do it. The offense, that is the one major question mark. The defense is where you have a lot of the youth on this, on this team. Like It's a young defense that Pete Carroll this year has playing way over their head. And last year, it was kind of the opposite, where the offense, I felt, carried Seattle, and the defense was lacking. I, I just hope that Geno Smith, this isn't too serious of an injury. It's not one that I don't think will, will keep him out, but you just hope it's one that doesn't linger, impacts him, because we've already seen signs of decline from Geno. So as long as the offense can stay respectable and keep them in games, last week was a bit of a tough one with Smith exiting and Drew Locke taking over. But if they can at least keep these teams in games, uh, Seattle in most weeks only has to score 21 points to win. They don't need mm -hmm. to play in shootouts every single week. All right, Stevie, I was looking at your North Star Bets article on week 12 uh, dog bets. You know I love a dog. I love a dog. But I had to look twice when I saw that you'd like the Bills as three-point dogs against the Philadelphia Eagles. Am I reading this right, Stevie? Yes, you are reading it right. And I got to hear this. Look, I was about to say, make sure you're, you're well-seated. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if, if you feel faint, make sure you put your head low, lower your head so you don't hit it on your way down. But I really do like the Bills in this game. I think this is a terrible letdown spot for the Philadelphia Eagles. Listen to this. Probably the most emotional game of the year this season for them was Monday night against the Kansas City Chiefs. We saw how they acted after the win. It clearly meant a lot to them. Now they've got a short week. 
to prepare for the Bills, a short week during Thanksgiving week, nonetheless, where they're at home with their families, with their loved ones. They got to prepare for the Bills, who are fighting tooth and nail right now to get into the playoffs. The Bills, there will be no Thanksgiving celebrations. That team is sitting on pins and needles right now, waiting for Sunday's game. And this is another look-ahead spot. It's kind of sandwiched in between two big games for the Eagles. They played the Chiefs last week. They get the Niners following Buffalo this week. The Bills, since the start of last season, 6-1 and one straight up with the rest advantage. I think Buffalo is very live to win this game at plus 148 over at North Star Bets. I think they could pull off the upset against the Eagles. And no, that's just not my Bills bias speaking here. You know what, Stevie? <laughs> I was looking at the, the, um, the lines before and obviously read your article. And I agree with you 1,000%. I know we were talking about off-air that I was wow. kind of shocked by this. I agree with you. This is going to be a big letdown for the Eagles, a team that – played a okay game but found a way to win an emotional game there's gonna be an emotional letdown so i'm with you on that 100 now the denver broncos are favorite against a playoff caliber team in the cleveland browns are you riding with the browns as a dog yes i am at plus 105 i really like cleveland this denver team i'm sorry producer sean's listening i'm it's sorry but they're so smoking. Throw one of the bus. They're smoking mirrors. This Denver team. I mean, all you have to do against Denver is not turn the ball over. But what have each of their last four opponents done? They turn the ball over. Denver leads on turnover margin thirteen to two in the last four weeks in all four of their wins. So to me, this is if you play a clean game against this Broncos team, you're gonna win. And Cleveland, they're gonna come out with the most conservative game plan imaginable. For Dorian Thompson Robinson, they do not want this guy chucking the ball all over the yard. They want to lean on the run, which is a path to success against the Broncos, who are allowing the most yards per carry in the NFL at 5.5 yards per carry. So I do believe that this is a good matchup for Cleveland. We know that a defense and a run game travels. I expect that to travel to mile high and expect the Browns to upset the Broncos. Well, you talk about a conservative game plan, and it's not like, Sean Payton's loosened the reins up on Russell Wilson. He's treating him like he's DTR. Very conservative game plan, short passes. Everybody wants to say that, oh, Russell Wilson's 90% back to what he was. He's 80% back. He's back. But when you watch the Denver Broncos play, they have handcuffs on Russell Wilson because Sean Payton doesn't trust this guy at all. And, Steve, you can attest to this too. Miles Garrett, I think he deserves more MVP consideration for what he's doing with this Cleveland Browns team. They have the best defense. They lost their starting running back, their superstar running back, their starting quarterback, and they're still 7-3. and three. Tell me this. If the Cleveland Browns make the playoffs, is Miles Garrett your MVP favorite? I would put it – I can't say he's my favorite. I just want to see how things play out the rest of the way. But let, let's say everyone kind of keeps on the path they're on and they get in and Garrett keeps on the path that he is. He's top three at a minimum because we haven't seen many standout performances. Honestly, when you look through the list, Mahomes is having a down year by his standards. Hertz has been okay, but he's not rushing nearly as much as he was last year. He hasn't been quite as effective. So I don't know who else you'd really put in that conversation. I think that's why you see a guy like Brock Purdy, after a couple of good weeks, he gets propped right back up in that discussion. It's because it, there's really no runaway favorite. I think Garrett should definitely get more recognition because you mentioned it. Like the offense is nothing. They, 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 their starting quarterback gone, a team that wants to run the football without arguably the best running back in football. They're still finding ways to win games. And it's because of miles Garrett in that defense.
Yeah, I mean, the problem is it's next to impossible for anyone in any secondary to win an MVP. But if it's anybody, it's it's probably him. Stevie, thanks so much for doing this, man. These picks. Um, I'm looking at you like you're crazy, but you never let me down before. So I'm going to tell you Thanksgiving and this weekend in the NFL. Thanks for doing this, buddy. No problem. Thanks for having me on. And happy Thanksgiving to our friends south of the border. Okay, it's time for Take for Take, which is a segment me and Justin do on this show where we give our take slash opinion on an individual topic, and we do that throughout this segment. Let's start off with Tom Brady, who was on the Stephen A. Smith show, and he was talking about mediocrity in the NFL, and here's what he had to say. I I think there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. I don't see the excellence that I saw in the past. Why not? Why not? I think the coaching isn't as as good as it was. I don't think the development of young players is as good as it was. The rules have allowed a lot of bad habits to get into the actual performance of the game. Mm -hmm. So I just think the product, in my opinion, is less than what it's been. I think I look at a lot of players like Ray Lewis and Rodney Harrison and Ronnie Lott and guys that impacted the game in in a certain way. And every hit they would have made would have been a penalty. Mm. You hear coaches complaining about their own player being tackled and not necessarily... Why don't they talk to their player about how to protect himself? We used to work on the fundamentals of those things all the time. Now they're trying to be regulated all the time. Offensive players need to protect themselves. It's not up to the defensive player to protect the offensive player. A defensive player needs to protect himself. I didn't throw the ball to certain areas because I was afraid players were going to get knocked out. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. Wow. I didn't throw it to the middle when I played Ray Lewis because you knock him out of the game and I couldn't afford to lose a good player. Okay, Justin, you heard the clip. You've yeah. digested it. I'm sure you've thought about it for a long time. Your thoughts on what Brady's saying about the NFL? I mean, look, he is right. But think about it. We have quarterback. We have had countless quarterbacks coming in this year, and they look like hot trash, right? <laughs> they look horrible. Talk about your. We have Tim Boyle about to start a game, and nobody's giving them a chance whatsoever. Um, look, I do agree with Tom Brady, but it also he's kind of contradicting himself. This is a guy talking about how like you don't want to put receivers in a position to get blown up by guys like. You know, he mentioned um, Ray Lewis, I think Ronnie Lott, and I forget, yeah. uh, forget the other person he mentioned. But that's what the NFL was. The NFL also prioritized player safety as they should. We all want players to be safe and healthy and all of that. But fans also want a more offensive game. Albert, me and you, we've watched countless games, and the most exciting games are the games that are you know, 33-31 or 38-35, 28-27. We don't Offense. like these 17-14 to 14 games, these 21-17 games. We want games that hit the over, right? Um, so the NFL's prioritized that. They Just like basketball, you want to go to a more offensive game. You want to see more flow and movement and style and flair and all of that, whereas the game has moved away from that. Where now, where you saw a guy with the Seattle Seahawks and Devin Witherspoon kind of suplexed the Rams receiver and got flagged for it. Whereas 10, 15 years ago, that would have been totally fine, right? So the game has changed. It's evolved. And yes, it has created mediocrity because also players aren't practicing as much anymore. There's no more two-a-days. There's no more, you know, mandatory off-season camps throughout the off-season, right? Guys are working out on their own. They're not. There's not as much team chemistry and also salary wise too guys are making a lot more money there's now a salary cap where you have to pay peter and rob and take from paul right <laughs> you look at the you look at the Kansas City chiefs part of the reason why they can't have an offense any 
just any good wide receivers is because they're paying Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey a whole lot of money, right? You have a salary cap you have to work by. It's a hard salary cap. So you have to take away certain aspects of your team. So that's all part of the reason why you're seeing a lot more mediocrity in the NFL. So I do agree with Tom Brady on that. But also as for the player safety part of it and all that, Tom Brady benefited from from that with the second half of his career. He saw, um, you know, the ability, you know, they brought in the Brady rule because of him because he missed a whole season because of a torn ACL because he got hit with a low, you know, a low hit. So he benefited from that stuff in the second half of his career winning those Super Bowls. So I do agree with him, but it's also, Tom, you also benefited a little bit from it as well. I just want to say one thing before we get to the next topic, just on this Brady thing. If Mm -hmm. this is the Brady that we're going to get in the booth, he can stay at home. Because if he's going to be that that color guy that just complains about the game every Mm -hmm. single game that he's on, that's going to get old super fast. And I do not want to hear that. He's got to get to the point where he accepts the game for what it is, because mm-hmm. if he still wants to be a part of it, especially as a broadcaster, someone calling the game, you're going to have to change your mindset a little bit. I mean, look yeah, at a guy I, like Troy Aikman. Aikman will call out players, mm-hmm. but he understands what the game is right now. And I think that's yeah. what Brady needs to do before he steps into that booth. For sure. But Brady's the GOAT, right? Whatever he says is going to garner a reaction, whether it's positive or negative, right? Um, I just think when I look at him, he's whatever he says, people are going to be super positive and jump on that ship or they're going to be super negative and against it, right? Because he's such a polarizing figure still, even though he is the greatest football player who ever lived. Um, speaking of guys who are the greatest who ever lived, the debate continues, Albert. Oh. Messi versus Ronaldo, even though that debate at the World Cup was ended in my books. But it appears we're going to get one more potential addition of Ronaldo versus Messi. They're calling it the last dance. Apparently, at the Riyadh Season Cup coming up, Cristiano Ronaldo and his side are going to take on Leo Messi and his Inter-Miami side. Now, Inter-Miami did come out and say, did not confirm it at all. But, Albert, I got to ask you this. You are a guy who's invested in this rivalry like nobody else's business. Do you want to see this still? Or is it time they just wrap it up and just we don't need to see this anymore? Build another storyline. No, I don't want to see it. We we just saw it. What, last year it was uh, the same thing. It was the Riyadh All-Stars, which included mm-hmm. Ronaldo against PSG. And it, Ronaldo played the first half. Messi and I think Neymar played and Mbappe played the first half. And it just it's, a, it's an exhibition. It is what it is. I know Inter-Miami have come out and said it's not going to happen. I still think it's going to happen. This is just everything that's falling in line. It's to push the 2034 World Cup. Which Saudi Arabia now has, and that's all this is for. And it's a pure money grab. And the, the Saudis know exactly what they're doing. But it's not a game anyone really wants to watch outside of like, hey, look, it's Ronaldo and Messi on the same pitch. But it's not a competitive fixture. Will they score some goals in it? Probably. But it's it's nothing that anyone really wants to see. I would rather see maybe Ronaldo and Messi somehow maybe make one last push in, in Europe and play one more Champions League game against each other. That's what I would want to see. That That's meaningful. Or an international competition. Not this glorified friendly where you're getting an M- MLS team playing against the, the Riyadh All-Stars. Like, no one wants to see that. It's just an All-Star exhibition game, and I'm done with it. Yeah, I think, Albert, what made Messi-Ronaldo so great was that the games were meaningful, whether that was in the Spanish domestic league with Barcelona, Real Madrid, or the Champions League, and all that stuff, right? This, like you mentioned, is just a cash grab. And I think 
We're and seeing that, it. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. But the cash grab thing, and that's okay. I understand that. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. But let's not let's not have this expectation that it's gonna settle any debate or anything like that. It's just two guys on a pitch who are gonna make a ton of money playing against each other, quote unquote well, air quotes playing. Exactly. And I think when you look at that situation, I feel like soccer is just there's so many other bright young stars in the game. Look what Jude Bellingham's doing in Spain as well. But you could build storylines through find the next generation, move on to that, pivot to that, right? right? Stop going back to guys that are playing in, let's face it, leagues that don't really matter, right? No. So I think it's time for the world and the soccer world to move on from that and find the next, the next great rival, the next stars to build around. This is low-hanging fruit, right? They have mm-hmm. Ronaldo in Saudi Arabia. MLS would love to do this because regardless of what you think about it and what I think about it, people are going to watch it. Am I going to watch it? Probably. Probably. So I'm kind of being a bit of a hypocrite. Okay, let's move on. The Toronto Raptors, your favorite basketball team, (laughs) Justin Booney, fell flat, dude, in a must-win in-season tournament game against the Orlando Magic on Tuesday, losing 126-107. to Mind you, the Magic have been pretty good this season. Uh, So the Raptors are now 0-2 with two games to play in the tournament. Justin, are their NBA Cup dreams over? Yeah, it's over. Like there's, they have a couple in season, uh, sorry, in season tournament games remaining, but there is, they're not making it past the group stage. And I think we already knew that, but the Toronto Raptors, to me, I and again, there was no hockey on last night. I was watching, I dived back into the NBA fully last night, and I was watching that Raptors game. I'm like, this team is just so bad. Like. Again, their record is it's it's okay, but when I watch this team play, and they get down to these big, big leads. They don't start off games well. Scotty Barnes, you're down 20 and you're showboating while you're dunking. What are you doing? Right? Like, I get it. You're having an all-star season, but bro, your team is horrible, right? And you look at this, they chose not to rebuild, they chose to patchwork this thing and see where things go and just absolute just now I could say it a stupid way to practice, but you look at a team like Orlando, who's had a whole lot of suffering. <laughs> they look pretty damn good last night, and they look pretty damn good this season. Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder went through very hard times, rebuilt. <laughs> they look pretty damn good right now. Then you got teams like the Philadelphia 76ers, whose head coaches Nick Nurse. And I was told so much last year that Nick Nurse is the problem. He's got a big ego. He pushes these guys. He's not a good leader. Well, how good do the Sixers look this year, Albert? Fred Van Vliet and the Houston Rockets. Oh, Fred's a selfish, doesn't pass the ball. He's this, he's that. Well, the Houston Rockets look a lot better than the Toronto Raptors do. Albert, this team, I don't know if Darko Ryakovich is the right head coach. Yes, that's too early to tell. But what Masai Ujiri has done is nothing short of just absolutely mind-blowing. Pascal Siakam is a shell of himself. He has good games here or there. Yes, Scotty Barnes has had a, a very good start to the season. Dennis Schroeder has been very good. But the rest of this team, they don't look good whatsoever. And I think it's time that Raptor fans finally acknowledge the fact that, look, this is not 2019 anymore. Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol, they're not coming through that door anytime soon, right? Time to move off from that era of the Toronto Raptors and realize your team is now mediocre at best. It's time to understand that you need to rebuild. Your team is not good. It is time to embrace the tank, rebuild, go young, get high draft picks because Albert, you know what the funniest part is? These guys don't even have a first round pick this year because why? 
They gave it to Jakob Pertle and paid him $20 million a year. Yeah, you know what? That game wraps borderline unwatchable. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. They're, they're directionless. We've been, Justin, we've been talking about this since before last year's deadline. Which way is this team going? Mm-hmm. And then they they decided to become buyers at deadline, bringing in Pirtle, and we're like, okay, so they're buying in to make the play-in. And then what happens? They don't do anything in the play-in. And now it's like, now what? That yeah. That's the biggest thing with me with the Raptors. Like, I, I'm completely fine with rebuilds and whatnot, th- those teams mm-hmm. that you mentioned. Uh, and it's tough, to be honest, to compare to a team like the 76ers, which you did. You're like, oh, Nick Nurse. Never thought, thought that Nick Nurse was the problem, but you can't compare what they have to what the Toronto Raptors have. No, I'm not comparing the same. I'm putting out the fact. An MVP, a guy like Tyrese Maxey, yeah. you're going to have success. The Raptors yeah, no, aren't even close to that stage yet. Yeah, no, I'm pointing out the fact that I was told so much that, oh, it's good Nick Nurse yeah. is not the coach anymore. But look what he's, the job he's doing in Philly right now, right? And he's yeah. had to deal with a whole lot of drama early on in his tenure in Philly with the whole James Harden situation. I just don't know. I don't know where they go. I don't know what they're doing. Nobody, nah, nobody knows. And it looks like Masai has to make that massive franchise-altering decision midway through this season, where it's like, okay, we finally need to make a decision. Do we just do we do we sell? Do we get rid of Siakam? Yeah. Do we move Scotty Barnes? What do we do? Do we bring in players you, now? I don't know if you move Scotty, but you definitely everybody else is on the table to be moved, right? But that's what I'm saying. I, Look, you're yeah. you're you're approaching a, a, what the the quarterway point of this mm-hmm. season. And yeah, you have to make that decision still. How is that yeah. possible? What are we doing here? I don't know. But speaking of what we're doing here, <laughs> what is Canada soccer doing, bro? Nice segue. I know. Nice segue. I need to. But what is Canada soccer doing? You go to Jamaica in the monsoon in Kingston. You come out with a win, a 2-1 win. You got two away goals. You come home to BMO Field, the confidants of home. You know, you have all the big boys are playing, the Davies, the Davids, the Buchanans, the Estacios, the this, the that, and the third, and you blow it. You collapse. You lose to Jamaica. Jamaica stuns Canada and all the supporters there, moving on to the semifinals of the CONCACAF Nations League. Canada does not qualify for the Copa America. They still have one more chance. I think in March, they played Trinidad and Tobago in Frisco, Texas. Um <laughs> Albert, watching this as a Canadian was embarrassing, but I want to give you the final word on this. Give me your final word and thoughts on this debacle we saw last night at BMO Field. Yeah, not good, but I want to start by giving some props to Jamaica because I feel like no one is doing that. They're just dismissing them because they came in here and Canada was supposed to beat them. This Canadian team that has barely been playing any games was supposed to beat a Jamaican team that is filled with really good players. Premier League caliber players, Leon Bailey plays for Aston Villa. Bobby D. Cordova-Reed plays for Fulham. There's a guy, Mikel Antonio wasn't even playing, but he's a Premier League player. Damari Gray has been in the Premier League for a long time. He's now moved on to Saudi, but he's at that caliber. Ethan Pinnock, right? Andre Blake is another excellent player, one of the best MLS keepers of all time. So let's give credit to where credit is due, and that's Jamaica. They came into Toronto, a difficult place to play when you're playing Canada. I think who won 17 consecutive games at home. So it's a tough place to win, and it's a tough place to get a point, and they and Jamaica did that. So credit to Jamaica. They're on their way to the Copa America. This was such a missed opportunity for Canada, for a team that that is in turmoil. They don't even have a full-time head coach right now. Moro Biello is an interim guy, and he definitely did not make the case 
to keep that job after that with some of those questionable substitutions. And the players kind of just failed them. So they missed out on direct qualification to the Copa America. And this is why that's it's so important for Canada to make that because the World Cup, in case people forgot, will be in North America, the next World Cup. And Canada is one of the hosts of that World Cup. They need to be playing important, meaningful games leading up to that. And there's a possibility now that they're missing out on such a massive tournament to play in, in the Copa America. You'd be playing the likes of Argentina with Messi, Brazil, Colombia, Uruguay, Paraguay, big teams, big teams and a big competition that lends it perfectly to the World Cup coming up. And you're missing out on that opportunity. Now you got to go to Frisco, Texas in March, and you have to play Trinidad and Tobago. That's going to be a difficult match because based on what I saw, this team is not ready for that. They have the attack. Buchanan, David, Laren, Alfonso, Davies, Stefan Estacchio. I think the attack is more than enough to go ahead and win that game. But you look at the defense, and this isn't like club football, right? You can't go out and buy defenders and buy players. It is what it is. This is what you got. You got to go with Derek Cornelius and an, old, and an aging Stephen Vittoria and an aging keeper in Borjan. Why he's still the number one guy, I don't know. I will never understand that. So they have issues there. And from now until March, there's no matches scheduled. This, this Canada soccer organization can't even get friendly scheduled. Their last friendly was what, in October against Japan where they, could, they were completely embarrassed. So now they're missing out on all this time for this team to get together, try and figure something out because they need to figure out how to play together under a new system under Biello. They still need to learn how, what Biello wants them to do and if he'll even be there. Now they won't have any matches up until March, at least as of right now. And they have the expectation where they have to go and win to make the Copa America. I'm not convinced that they do it. And that that loss too to Jamaica also kicked them out of the CONCACAF Nations League quarterfinal. More meaningful matches that they're missing out on. So this is just, man, it's just a colossal disappointment uh, all around. Credit to Jamaica, but there's no way that Canada, after winning the first leg, coming home, taking a league early in Toronto against Jamaica with that crowd, there's no way in hell they should have lost that match. And they did. And now, once again, uh, question marks in the air surrounding this Canada soccer team. Thanks for listening to the podcast. That's it from us at Homestand Sports. We'll be dropping episodes throughout the week, so keep your eyes peeled for that. You can find Homestand Sports anywhere you download your podcasts, including Apple Music, Amazon, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening. I'm Albert Vartanian. This has been Homestand Sports, where stories, not stats, take center stage. <laughs>